It was customary for the king's servants to go out to repair the roads and give them a smooth path. They called him the king's highway. And as the forerunner of Jesus, John exalted the humble. He lowered the prideful. He straightened out their crooked hearts. He smoothed their roughness that they might receive the glories of their king, Jesus. He caused quite a stir among the people. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Alright, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John. Chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 34 today, the Lamb of God fits perfectly with our memory verse for this month. John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to give you guys a clue as you're memorizing that. Actually read the words that you're memorizing. It's sin, singular, not sins, plural. I heard you guys saying sins. We say that every once in a while, but you want to memorize it correctly, it's in the singular in that verse. And he repeats it again, the Lamb of God, in verse 36. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. We'll look at that portion next week. But John introducing to his people Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And the ministry of John the Baptist has been recorded in each of the four Gospels. And Rightfully so, because John was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. God had sent John in the spirit and the power of Elijah in Luke 1.17 at Jesus' first coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers and the word saying, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse, Malachi 4.6 and Restoring relationships was part of the ministry of John the Baptist. Hearts were being softened toward their own family members. That's how bad things had gotten at the time of Jesus' coming. It's how bad things will get and are getting, I believe, at the time of Jesus' second coming to restore relationships between fathers and their children was not John's greatest privilege, though. His greatest privilege was introducing Jesus, the Lamb of God, as the Savior of the world. Today, I want us to see a message entitled, The Lamb of God. 
John 1, 19 through 34. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23, the question, who are you? Verses 24 through 28, and the question, why do you baptize? And then the Lamb of God, verses 29 through 34. I want to go ahead and read the first portion, verses 19 through 23, and open us up in prayer, where we're looking at the question, who are you? John 1.19 says, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. And they said to him, who are you? that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive from your word today. Lord, as we look back to the story, the testimony of John the Baptist and his introduction of Lord Jesus, you, to his generation, Lord, help us to be encouraged to have the same courage as John the Baptist to introduce people to Jesus in the day and age that we live in. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So that's one of the things that we do looking back on the testimonies, the stories that we have here recorded for us in God's word. These are events that actually happen, but they're given to us that we would be in Encouraged in the day and age that we live in, that we could do similar things by bringing testimony of Jesus, the Lamb of God, to others. That is a great privilege that the Lord has given us. And I just want to remind you that the overall theme that has been chosen for the Gospel of John, uh, I took from John 20, 31, that you may believe. The purpose of John writing, and we'll get into it, but he records seven miracles for us. There's the seven I am statements of Christ that he specifies for us. But he does these things and even declares that there were many more miracles that Jesus had done. And he would go on to say, if, I suppose if everything was written concerning what Jesus did while he was here during those three years, all the books in the world couldn't contain the story of Jesus. But these have been written that you may believe and and the purpose is not only that we may believe many of us coming already to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but to give us a greater understanding of those who ministered alongside Jesus, those who confronted Jesus and contended against him, and to give us greater understanding of the mission and the purpose and the person of Jesus Christ. So they asked the question, who are you? Now we have between the Old and New Testament and some of the older Bibles used to have between their, the pages 400 silent years. And that is true from the closing of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament. There's about 400 years that would pass where there was no significant prophecy, no written prophecy given. 400 years of silence. And yet some 30 years earlier, things started to get stirred up with some wise men who came 
from the east coming to Herod the Great and asking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And there was the testimony of Jesus Christ that the Messiah was coming. It was on the hearts of the people. 30 years later, there's this guy who's out in the deserted places of Israel, and he's preaching and baptizing people, and it caused quite a stir. And so the leaders of Jerusalem sent the Pharisees, sent the Levites, the priests, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed. John said, I'm not the Christ. It's Christos in the Greek. It means the anointed. It refers to the Messiah himself. Are you the anointed one? May have been the question that they asked. About 30 years earlier, yes, the wise men came, and they told of the birth of the king of the Jews. And now John's message calling people in Matthew 4, 17, to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It stirred the hearts of the Jewish people once again. People were repenting, and the leaders in Israel were wondering what's going on. It was a movement that was grassroots. It was movement among the people, and the religious leaders in Israel, they were thinking, we didn't sanction any of this. Now, we have to remember that John the Baptist, his dad, was a priest who served in the temple. That's part of the Christmas story where while he was serving, as we know, in the temple itself, Gabriel stood before him, announced that he and his wife would have a child, that they would name him John, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from within his mother's womb. But that tells us that John himself was of the priestly line. And priests began serving at the age of 30, it was here at this age when he should have been at the temple, serving in the temple. He began preaching the Messiah's coming. And so it caused this stir. They asked also in verse 21, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And the Old Testament closed with the promise of Elijah's coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. It speaks about the Messiah's coming and God's final judgment upon the earth. And so we read from Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, the last two verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so the mission, the testimony of Elijah and his coming. And prophecy is still proclaiming that Elijah will come before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, before the Lord's second coming. This prophecy is still kept, and the thought of it in Israel at Passover. Uh, the Orthodox Jews, many of the families, will set an extra plate in their home at the Passover meal. And the purpose of that extra plate is for Elijah, just in case he shows up. They'll even play a game with their children and have them go look out the front door to see if Elijah is coming. But the heart of this message is still there, that Elijah will come, as the Lord tells us. So it was a question of John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now there's another thing at play here in Daniel, chapter 9, verses 22. 2 through 27, God had given Israel 
a timetable for the nation of Israel, for the city of Jerusalem, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, that 483 years would go by before the Messiah's coming. So they knew that the time of the Messiah's coming was upon them. And so they were turning their hearts, the Jews of the first century, living during the time of Daniel's prophecy that the Messiah would come. The thing is that many of them mistook the coming and did not realize the two comings of Jesus Christ, his first and second coming. And even with John the Baptist not understanding his ministry and his mission, as Jesus in Matthew 17, 10 said, his disciples asked him, saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. They did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And the disciples, verse 13, understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Jesus said, Elijah is coming. So the Bible prophesies of the of Elijah coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And Jesus did not negate that. He didn't say that, well, Elijah has already come. We don't have to worry about that prophecy. He began it by saying, yes, he is coming. He will restore all things. So there is a future work. It's interesting that Elijah didn't see death according to the word of God, that he was taken into heaven apart from death. Only two men in scripture uh, qualify in that way, Enoch and Elijah. And the Bible in the book of Revelation talks about two witnesses of old who will come again. And it could be that most commentators believe that Elijah is one of the two witnesses. Others argue about whether Enoch is the second witness or Moses. And they use Moses as argument because of the miracles that's recorded for us in the book of Revelation are similar to the ministries of Moses and Elijah. But Jesus he said he is coming. Let me assure you, he is coming. But he has already come. And they understood that he referred to John the Baptist. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah at his first coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make a people ready for the Lord. They asked also, are you the prophet? Now, the prophet takes us back to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18. It is a Mosaic prophecy concerning the Messiah. Moses said, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. You shall hear him. In verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brethren. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they were anticipating also the prophet, not just any prophet. They said, are you the prophet, the one that Moses testified about? And John said, no, I am not. But we learn from the prophecy from Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and verse 18, that there are four basic things that this prophet Jesus it tells us that Jesus was like Moses in that he communicated directly with God. 
that Jesus came from among his brethren, Israel. He's from Israel. So you don't have to look for any uh, American or South American or South African Messiah. He's Jewish. He's from among the Jewish people. And God put his words in Jesus' mouth, and Jesus spoke all that his father commanded him, and even testified of it in John 8, 28 and 29. Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And so they're asking the question, who are you? And he said his response, verses 22 and 23. Who are you that they may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he takes him to a prophecy that we just uh, closed out singing from Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. The rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. Together the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Make a way in the wilderness. And John was there in the deserted place by the Jordan River, baptizing people, proclaiming the message of the gospel and the Messiah's coming. It was customary back in biblical times, and, well, it's even customary in our day and age at times when there's some pretty large conventions, perhaps in our nation. We will have a presidential, they'll probably start running for president within any day now, even though it's three years away. But uh, I remember in Chicago, they had a national, I think, Democratic convention here, and they made the city, made things look pretty nice around here, put a facade on a couple of the bridges in red, white, and blue, and make things nice. And no doubt, the motorcade of the president coming in, uh, they didn't take him down the worst streets of Chicago. They picked the good roads, Chicago known for potholes. Want to smooth out those things. Same thing happened then. It was customary for the king's servants to go out to repair the roads and give them a smooth path. They called them the king's highway. And as the forerunner of Jesus, John exalted the humble. He lowered the prideful. He straightened out their crooked hearts. He smoothed their roughness that they might receive the glories of their king, Jesus. He caused quite a stir among the people. So much so that the religious ruler sent men, priests, and Levites to come and ask, Who are you? And to this day, the call of repentance through faith in Jesus Christ continues to cause quite a stir in the hearts of people. Secondly, they asked, Why do you baptize? Verses 24 through 28, he said, Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them and saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among 
you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabarba, Barbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I'll work on that word where he is baptizing here in a moment. I'll read it in the Greek for you. Probably do just, just as bad. But he asked, why do you baptize? And this uh, was a baptism of repentance. It was preparing the people's heart for Jesus' coming. To the Jews, only proselytes were baptized. The non-Jewish people who wanted to become and keep uh, Jewish laws, they were baptized. But not Jewish people. They had no purpose of being baptized. So they connected the baptism with a specialty of either the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet. But why are you baptizing? So they questioned the baptism itself. In the Bible, we find various doctrines of baptism are taught throughout Scripture. In 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21, we learn about the baptism of Noah, where there is this type of baptism where Noah, his family, and the animals were saved by going through the water. They passed through the flood. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, Paul writes of the baptism of Moses, which speaks about the children of Israel crossing over the Red Sea. They passed through the water and through the wilderness. They were, he actually said, under the clouds. So also talking about the Shekinah glory, cloud shielding them. They were baptized in this sense. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. And we learn about that in Acts 19.4. Believer's baptism is what we practice today and the Lord gave us that command in Matthew 28, 19. He also talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. And there's also taught the baptism of fire in Matthew 3, 11, and verse 12. And the baptism of Christ, Paul wrote about in Romans 6, 3. So several baptisms mentioned in the scripture itself. And they ask the question, why do you baptize? And his answer is found in verses 26 and 27. I baptize with water. And he begins by answering the question. I baptize with water. And it was uh, an act by the people being baptized of the inward work that God was doing in their hearts. Today, in believer's baptism, when we baptize... It represents the work that Christ has already done in the heart, but it's an outward sign of the inward work that God is doing. For them, it was similar in the sense of it was preparing them for the Messiah's coming. It didn't result in, in salvation, but it was an act of repentance saying, I want to be ready for the Messiah's coming. C.S. Lewis, I know you probably heard the quote, but it ties back to C.S. Lewis. Jesus Christ was either a, a liar, a lunatic, or he was who he said he was. They were asking the question to John, who are you? But John turned it around and he gave testimony to the Lamb of God. Maybe people will come to us today and they'll ask, well, what are you all about, man? What makes you tick? In our response to them, could it be that we are followers of Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus that I'm all about. It's Jesus that makes me tick. It's Jesus that I want to live for, and it's Jesus I want to share with you. Father, help us to be such a people who are willing to be bold like John the Baptist was. Lord, his work cost him his life, but he was willing to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to his people in his day and age. And Father, I'm not saying that what we do for you today in this day and age could cost us our lives physically, but it could cost us. It has. Lord, even in our own nation today, it has cost people their jobs, their livelihoods, uh, relationships with friends and family. Yet, Lord, you have called us to be a witness and a testimony that we too may be able to present to others Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May that be our heart's cry, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.